Well, good morning, Las Tierras, body of Christ. I thought I was excited about shedding my COVID mask after being vaccinated. However, I managed to catch the common cold last week while fishing in a confined space up in Alaska with my son. So uh, while I'm excited about sharing the Word of God with you, I don't want to share my cold with you. Um, so I really would like to uh, extend a, a uh, welcome from your sister church at uh, Christ the King on the west side. We're very excited about uh, Las Tierras, and as you transition uh, and turn a new chapter in the life of the church, uh, with uh, Tito moving on, and with um, uh, Jeff White coming on board. We're very excited for you and uh, Matheson and their precious three little children. So it's an honor to bring to you and open to you God's Word this morning. Um, and before I do, uh, let me pray for this time. Father, thank you for your Word. It's a light to our path. We pray that you would bring understanding of it as we open it, and may the thoughts and meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, well, uh, you know, there are some troubling passages in the scriptures, and um, I know most of us are familiar with those passages that uh, we find troubling. Uh, For example, Matthew chapter 7, where the Lord says, uh, in the last days many will come to me and say, I did these three wonderful things, I cast out demons, I prophesied, and uh, I did many wonderful works, and he tells them, I never knew you. And so uh, the fact uh, that there are troubling scriptures um, uh, in the Bible shouldn't bother us. In fact, it should be more uh, um, affirming to us. If the scriptures were from, derived from the mind of man, uh, then we wouldn't find these troubling scriptures in there. The scriptures would be much more affirming if the scriptures came from the mind of man, wouldn't they? They'd be much more affirming and make us feel better about ourselves. Um, but, um, but they don't, do they? The scriptures cut us to the heart. And, um, and they reveal the mind and heart and the character of a holy triune God. And they also reveal our sinful nature, don't they? our sinful, selfish nature. And so as we give ourselves to the study, uh, the hearing, the reading, the memorization, and the uh, meditating on God's Word, um, we, uh, we find ourselves examining God's Word, and what happens when we do that? God's Word is examining us, isn't it? And that's why it cuts us to the heart. And so I hope today's scripture uh, does that. It's a, it's a troubling passage, I'll admit up front. And uh, I... This passage may make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, It makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh, However, I offer no apologies uh, for that. Uh, In fact, I hope it makes us all feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, So with that warning, I hope we haven't grown weary of warnings. Uh, My family, I have seven children, and um, we do like to watch uh, national news, which we know is uh, uh, unbiased, of course. Uh, but one of the, our favorite things about watching national news, nightly national news, is those warnings that we see at, 
on all the pharmaceutical commercials, and they're actually hilarious. My kids love to watch those. Um, here's an example of one. This is Accutane. It's an acne medicine, and it says these are the side effects. Depressed mood, troubling, trouble concentrating, sleep problems, crying spells, aggression or agitation, changes in behavior, hallucinations, uh, thoughts of suicide or hurting yourself, sudden numbness, weakness, blurred vision, hearing problems, seizures, severe pain in your upper stomach, spreading to your back, loss of appetite, severe diarrhea, fever, chills, body aches, uh, joint stiffness, bone, bone pain, or fracture. Um, and so if you don't experience any of those side effects, at least you won't have to worry about pimples. Um, so, so while these warnings, uh, while the warnings associated with today's passage uh, doesn't have, thankfully, the same side effects, uh, I think it, uh, it, it, it can bring real spiritual side effects. Uh, and this passage, today's spa- uh, passage in Isaiah, can be somewhat of a hard pill to swallow. But before I read this morning's passage, I'd like to uh, set the stage. So imagine for a moment, if you were somehow granted access into the very presence of God, and you were able to not just see God, or at least see His glory with your own eyes, but you were also able to perceive and understand what you were seeing. What if you were able to hear the word of God with your own ears? And not just hear, but understand. And, of course, we know from Scripture, you would probably see these bizarre creatures flying around. The Scriptures say night and day, these six-winged creatures, and they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And if you found yourself in that situation, what would you do? What would you think? Would you be so frightened as to just to play dead? I know I would. Um, Or would you be overcome by the power and majesty and by the glory of God? And if so, how? Would you become intensely aware of who you are, your humanity, Aware that you are, were someplace that you did not belong? Aware of your sinful nature? And what if you not only heard the voice of God, the voice of the triune, eternal God with your very ears, but if he asked you a question and gave you something to do? What if he wanted you to deliver a message to the people around you? to the rest of the world, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your city, even the rest of humanity. What would you think that message would be based on the popular view of modern Christianity that um, we're so familiar with? Would it be a message that uh, something to help convince people to believe and turn to God? Or perhaps a message of just obey and repent? This passage in Isaiah chapter 6 is quoted by all four New Testament writers. In Matthew 12 and 13, Mark 4, Luke 8, John 12, and Acts 28. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it is Jesus quotes this passage to explain why he spoke in difficult parables. Versus simple language. 
In John 12, the Apostle John cites this passage as a reason why some not only do not believe, but by why some cannot believe. And this happened even after Jesus performed many miracles. So, I've titled this message, Blessed Are Your Eyes and Ears. And so, now hear the word of God from Isaiah chapter 6. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. This is the word of God. In chapter 6, Isaiah, after having Uh, discharged his office for quite some time as a prophet and teacher, he's ushered into the very presence of God. Now, we don't know exactly where this occurred, whether it was while he was worshiping in the temple uh, during a dream, uh, but it was clearly a supernatural experience. Isaiah sees these celestial uh, angelic creatures called seraphs, And they are also described in several other places in the scriptures, um, very, uh, very similar in a similar fashion. And so these angelic creatures, it's interesting, they cover, shield their eyes from the radiance of God's glory and proclaim the holiness of the triune God. It would almost be as if we were staring into the sun and uh, something we shouldn't do, right? Um, But notice what they say to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so most sermons that you hear from Isaiah chapter 6 are usually about God's holiness. Um, But I'm going to take a little different approach this morning. I think this passage talks beautifully about God's sovereignty. And so John, in John chapter 12, uh, he tells about whose glory Isaiah really saw. Let me just read this for you in uh, 
37 to 41, even after Jesus had performed many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, referring to chapter 6, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. And in verse 41, John says this, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about Him. It's interesting to see that when confronted, uh, Isaiah, when confronted uh, with the presence of a holy God, he becomes intensely aware of his own personal sin. He says, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. And so he has nothing to say except to realize that I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell with a people of unclean lips. And notice what, what God's response is to Isaiah. More importantly, notice what the Lord's response is not. The Lord doesn't say, you know what, Isaiah, just because you have acknowledged your sin, I forgive you. The Lord doesn't say, just accept me into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. The Lord does not say, um, the Lord does say that before there can be forgiveness, there are two things that has to be dealt with. And we see them clearly, don't we? It's sin and guilt. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Notice that it takes something else and someone else to atone for sin. It's not something that we can do ourselves. And I like the word atoned versus forgiven because atoned implies reparation and satisfaction. So now Isaiah has his sin atoned for and his guilt removed. And so Isaiah is now ready. Ready for what? Some scholars think that Isaiah chapter 6 should really be chapter 1. And um, a lot of scholars do not agree with that. They think, no, he's already been a teacher and a preacher for a while. He's been walking with the Lord. He's been serving with the Lord. But the Lord has to bring things into his life as he does in our life to remind us of our sin, and to remind us of his presence. And so, in verse 8, oh, uh, and, and so it's interesting, the Lord does something very gracious, and you see this throughout Scripture. The Lord asks a question. And most of his questions are rhetorical, but they're so very gracious. For example, to Adam, what does he say? Where are you? Where are you? The Lord knows where he is. The Lord could have very well said, while Adam was hiding because of his sin, he could have said, I see you. Instead, he says, where are you? He says to the, to the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, he asks a question, and we know the scriptures are filled with questions. He says to Judah, why should I forgive you? Why? And again, these are rhetorical questions. They're aimed at, more for the benefit of the hearer. And it's so gracious. And so the Lord says, Whom shall I send? Who will go?
for us. And Isaiah, his response could be nothing else but send me. Right After the Lord has removed his guilt and forgiven his sin, send me. And my first thought when I was reading this passage was, send me to do what? Send me where, Lord? And to say what? Um, Does it really matter? Does it really matter at this point? He's seen the very glory of God, the glory of Christ. His guilt has been removed, so it doesn't really matter uh, where he is sent or what he is told to do. But verse 9 and 10 is really the focus of this morning's message um, because Isaiah is sent to proclaim a very troubling message. And, but before we delve into that message, um, what would you expect the message to be? And I, I, I went into a little of this. If you were in the presence of God, what would you expect to tell the people after you saw something as incredible as the glory of God? What would you imagine the message to the people should be? Should it be, I need to tell people what I just saw? What about, just let them hear what I have heard and see what I have seen. Then they'll believe, won't they? What if I tell, what if the message to the people should be God loves everyone, right? For God so loved the world. Um, what, about, what about the message to tell the people to obey God? Well, that hadn't worked for the first six chapters. And if you're familiar with your Old Testament, that hadn't worked for the entire Old Testament. Obey God. Isaiah 1.4 says, Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They've spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. So what would you expect the message to the people be? If they're not obedient, how about Repent. Well, the children of Israel neither obeyed nor repented. Um, And so, think about the message in terms of the modern evangelical Christian message. How about just give Jesus a chance? You know, should that be the message that Isaiah should carry to the people? Give your heart to Jesus. Just open the door, let Jesus in. After all, it's cold out there. You know, accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. You wouldn't want to leave the Lord of glory outside. Just invite him in. Jesus cannot turn down an open invitation, could he? How about the popular message of one of our local megachurches? That God is on your side. Should that be the message? So, um, sarcasm aside, and and thank you for letting me indulge in a little sarcasm. Um, but all of us, at one time or another, have sat under that kind of theology um, until one day the grace of God invaded our lives and we began to realize that there's something wrong with that message. And that's why many of you are here in a Reformed church today. But this message that Isaiah was given is a difficult one. In verse 9 and 10, in another translation, he says this, Though you hear my words repeatedly, You won't understand them. Though you watch and watch as I perform my miracles, still you you won't know what they mean. 
Dull their understanding, close their ears, and shut their eyes. I don't want them to see or hear or to understand or to turn to me and be healed. Make no mistake, this is a troubling message. So what's wrong with the passage? And how should this passage be interpreted? It's interesting that some scholars suggest that the Lord is just being ironic. He's using irony. And irony and sarcasm is a language that is just using the opposite language to, for in, to make an emphatic effect or even to be humorous. In essence, some say he's really saying this. We sure wouldn't want you to hear God's word and see what he is doing and to turn to him. We wouldn't want that to happen, would we? That's sarcasm and irony. Just like he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Is that irony? Is that ironic language? I don't think it is. Some scholars also suggest that this is to the Jewish nation only and that this is divine hardening. After all, does the Lord really not want people to hear what he has to say? And does he not want them to understand? Does he not want them to see and perceive and comprehend what God is doing? Does the Lord really not want people to turn to him and be healed? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that he does not. He does not. And I hope that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. But let me repeat that the triune God of the universe does not want people to hear with their ears, to hear what he has to say and to understand. He does not want them to see with their eyes and to perceive what he is doing. And he does not want them to turn to him to be healed if it's on their terms. If it's on my terms or your terms, he does not want it. And he will not have it. And definitely not using our, our senses, um, our feelings, our emotions, and our sense of timing. You see, because what do we proclaim, especially in this Reformed church? We proclaim that salvation is of the Lord, don't we? And that's a fundamental theological distinctive of the Reformed Church. You see, mankind has been wanting and attempting to come to God on his or her terms since the beginning of time. Starting with Adam and Eve and Cain, you know, after our first parents sinned, they attempted to come to God on their own terms. And we see it clearly in Genesis. You can see it now, right? In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve saying to God, what? You want me to wear that bearskin outfit? <laughs> after all, what's, what's wrong with the fig leaf collection? Um, after all, we made them ourselves. It's the work of our own hands. Well, we know from Scripture the Lord was not impressed. What about Cain? The first, the first person born of a woman came to God and said, I will determine what will please and appease God, the work of my own hands. 
And to think about it, the first person born of a woman in the, in the Bible was a murderer. So the biblical narrative is not very um, affirming to our nature, is it? So God says, no, you will not come to me on your own terms. You'll not use your own senses. Not, you, you, see and, you will not see and hear. And so he drove them out of the garden to keep them from appropriating the tree of life on their own terms and with their own senses. God says no. You see, mankind comes to God in, in, uh, on his or her own terms. And when, he, and when mankind does that, we call that religion, don't we? We do it all the time, too. Uh, men and women come to God on their own terms. I will determine and define what is sin in my life and what is not sin. I'll turn to God when and if I'm ready, good and ready, at the place and time of my own choosing, hopefully on my deathbed. Right? Um, I may even exercise my own right over my body to even define my own DNA, even my own gender. I'll go to church if and when I want to, and I'll submit as long as I like what I hear. I will leave church if I feel my rights have been violated. After all, I have a bill of rights, right? I'm an American. I'll marry whom I want, choose my own career. I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want to do it. And does that sound familiar? That's really human nature in its best. It's the cadence of the natural man, the Bible says, the normal rhythm of the unsaved heart. But it can also be found in us, can't it? In the, in the immature, often immature, or, uh, un, or carnal, uh, regenerated heart, if we're not careful. So, and of course, it's often fed by um, a lot of man-centered uh, doctrine. So what if the, uh, let me have a little fun here for a second. What if the modern Christian message were a pharmaceutical drug advertisement? So what would it look like? Do you suffer from blurred spiritual vision? Are you tired of not being able to understand the Bible? Tired of a God who demands way too much? Want to have your best life now? Want to know that God is on your side no matter what side you're on? Want to be able to tell others that you're really spiritual but not religious? Don't let the high demands of Christ get you down any longer. Taking up your cross daily can lead to signs of distress and even have been known to result in death. Ask your spiritual advisor if Easy Believia is right for you. (laughs) Easy Believia works with your natural aversion to the truth and can restore your own natural freedom to see and hear God, whomever you think God to be, he, she, or it and to even choose God whenever or however you please. The most common side effects of easy believia may include, but are not limited to, temporary and permanent blindness, loss of hearing, and hardness of heart. The results, for best results, apply easy believia directly to the emotions and avoid direct contact with the heart or mind. So, we've all done this, right? If you've been self-medicating with easy believia, uh, and we all have, please... Please stop. It's not healthy. Um, so I hope, that, uh, I hope that you are encouraged to trust in the triune God who really saves completely and opens our eyes to see him. So in Matthew chapter 13, after, after the uh, disciples asked him, Lord, why do you speak in parables? Why can't you just speak in plain, plain language? And he quoted and referenced Isaiah chapter 6. 
But at the end, in, at the end of that, he says, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. I hope you will uh, trust evermore in the sovereign God who saves His people. Let's pray.